Well, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to be here. Great to have you as we get into God's Word. I'm going to invite you to follow along with us in the Word by opening up to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. And uh, we're going to continue uh, the Sermon on the Mount preached by Jesus. We're going to be picking up uh, in Matthew 5, beginning with verse 27. And as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of background on what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about sexual integrity. And here's why we need to talk about it. I mean, first of all, big reason, because Jesus is talking about it, right? Um, But the other thing is, I I think it's really important as a church family to talk about difficult issues. Because if we refuse to talk about them and not talk about things in this environment, we give up. We give up three key things. Number one, we give up insight. We, if we refuse to talk about stuff like this in an environment like this, We don't share with people, what does God say about this? And as a result, our people tend to be informed or or have people give them insight apart from a place like this. And there's very few places that are preaching uh, about insight on sexual integrity. So we would give that up. Second of all, we'd give up integrity. In other words, what is God calling us to do? And third, we give up influence. In other words the encouraging of one another towards love and good, good works. And so we're going to be talking about this. We're a family, and families have difficult discussions from time to time. And I found that in my family, if I refuse to talk about a very serious issue with my boys or with my, the rest of my family, that the world tends to inform them. And frankly, as a father, as a husband, I don't want the world informing my family about sex. And so Jesus is going to call us into love today. He's going to call us away from lust and into love. And take a look at how he does this. It's in Matthew 5, beginning with verse 27. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Remember last week when Jesus gave the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. He said, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I tell you this, whoever gets angry with their brother, whoever says to their brother, you fool, is guilty of murder. In other words, we can, uh, you know, we can't hide behind the excuse. Well, at least I didn't kill him. I mean, I was mad enough, but I didn't kill him or I didn't kill her. We can't because that's a heart issue, right? Our words can do some damage. But then here, he gives the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And he says, look, you can't hide behind the issue as long as you don't sleep with her, you're going to be okay. No, he's going to say, no, the look, it starts with your eyes and it moves to your heart because we're all broken. You are broken. We are all broken sexually. And so as a church family, we don't come to God saying, well, this this is who I am, deal with me. No, we go, we're all broken in this area. We are. We're broken. And we come to Jesus to be fixed. And that's what Jesus is going to do. He's basically going to say, from your mind to the deed, lust kills, love builds. Now, I want to give you a working definition of what lust is. What is Jesus calling us away from? And then I want to talk to you about how is it killing us? How is it killing us? First of all, what's a working definition of lust? Here's my definition. Lust is the drive to satisfy myself with things that dishonor people and disregard God. 
Here's what I mean by that. God has created us to find our satisfaction, our fulfillment in him. And anytime we go and pursue a different direction apart from him with satisfaction or gratification, it's going to dishonor people. It's going to disregard God. And so when we pursue lust, when we're led by lust, it kills us. Here's how. Number one, lust kills your identity. You know, our world, if it's uninformed by the word of God, our world basically gives your primary identity as sexual. You are a sexual being so that to be alive, to really be yourself, you have to be active sexually, you have to be practicing sex, and it needs to be joyful and gratifying and satisfying to you. God says, no, 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 that's not how I created you. In Genesis 1, when God created man, he said, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So although God has given you a gender, he's given male and female, and he's created us male and female, the primary identity that we have been given is spiritual, not sexual. So the very identity that God has given us is that we have a longing to have it satisfied spiritually, not sexually primarily. And so God calls us into that. Here's the identity that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. He said, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. In other words, as a part of being a spiritual being, All of life then is to find joy, is to find satisfaction, is to find pleasure in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And Paul says, you're not your own, which means if you're a follower of Jesus, you give up your right to do whatever you want to do and say whatever you want to say. And so when we come to Jesus, we realize that's what I'm for. It's for my identity. Lust kills that identity. It takes it away from you and said, you're primarily a sexual being and you need to live satisfied in that area. Lust also kills holiness. As you have, as your body is meant to glorify God, which literally means to make him greater in your life, to make life about God, not about you, then we're called to reflect that holiness. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. He says, it's a, it's a rhetorical question, which literally means there's going to be an answer Paul knows. He asked the question so that he just amplifies the answer. He says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God? In, in other words, of course our body. Our bodies were made to reflect the glory and the greatness and the goodness and the wonder of who God is. Your body was made for that. And our bodies are best when they're following the spiritual first. And that's really the only way out of lust is if we pursue who God is rather than what we want. Lust kills holiness. I love what Paul says about First Thess- in First Thessalonians 4, verses 3 to 5. He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification literally means God setting you aside, setting you apart from the world to be satisfied in him, to reflect his holiness. He said, this is God's will, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control your own body with holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So if you're here and you know God and you've trusted God in your life through Christ, then God's will for us is holiness and honor. It's about making God greater. Lust 
makes us feel better for a moment. And it's never fully satisfied. It robs us of the holiness of God. Lust also kills honor. Remember how we're to handle our bodies, control our bodies with holiness and honor. Lust kills honor. Look what Paul, Peter says about what Paul said earlier in 1 Corinthians, that we have been bought with a price. Look, he says that you have been ransomed of the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Can I just tell you something? God has created each one of you and me with honor, with dignity. The God who created you and created all that it is, all it is, saw us in our brokenness, saw us in our sin, and loved us anyway. He sees who we are when we're away from him and he chooses to love us and he gave the precious blood of his one and only son, Jesus, to come live a perfect life, one I can't live, one you can't live, to die on a cross, to defeat the power of sin and death and to rise on the third day. God took care of all of it and and what this means is you're worth it. God gives you dignity. He gives you love. He gives you compassion. He gives you sacrifice, the sacrifice of his son. He's willing to burst through our brokenness, especially on this area, and purchase us back, take us back from what controls us. Lust kills that honor in you. And that's why, as I've counseled with men and women on this topic, when you're led by lust, you feel dirty. You feel used. You don't feel special because lust kills that honor. And it also kills that honor on how you treat people. If it is, if you're in my life just to satisfy me and bring me gratification, then it's not about me honoring you. It's not about me respecting you. It's not about me giving up myself to love you as Christ loves me and you. Lust kills that honor. Lust also kills commitment. It's a natural enemy, by the way, to lust is commitment. Why? Because when lust is marketed to us, they show us the act which is attractive and which is engaging. And because we believe our, the lie that our primary identity is sexual, we feel alive when we're sexually active. But lust doesn't stick around. That's why every movie you watch that has some lust in it, as soon as the scene's over, we move to a different thing. Because no one has to deal with the issues of that person they just slept with. They're just kind of like, do you realize she snores at night? No, we don't get that. We don't get that through a scene of lust. It kills that commitment. Paul kind of amplifies this commitment in 1 Corinthians 6.16. He says this, Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. Paul is calling the church in Corinth away from sexual immorality. And he said, he said, look, the code word for marriage is the two shall become one flesh because that's exactly what God is doing through marriage. He calls us into becoming one. He calls us into a commitment till death do we part, right? And that's that lifelong commitment. Lust wants nothing to do with a commitment. Starts with Jim Morrison. Hello, I love you. Won't you tell me your name? Yeah, why? Because I love you, but I don't know your... I, I want what you offer me on the outside, but I really don't want you. 
Lust kills that commitment. Lust also kills faith. Here's what I mean by that. I I mean, your willingness to trust God sexually is threatened by lust. And before I share a passage with you, I just want to share a reality. I've confronted people over the course of over 25 years of ministry about a whole bunch of different areas. But it's something. When I confront a guy about sex or about lust, they get ticked. Couples get ticked. I mean, they get angry and they walk away and they never come back. And I I thought, boy, did I say that too harshly? No, the reality is, is lust keeps us from wanting to follow God on this. We're so afraid of what that would look like. We're so afraid to lose what gives us so much pleasure that we that we're hesitant to trust God in this area. Paul writes this, for God's not called us to impurity, but to holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And I found that. I found that ultimately, it's not what I say, it's what God's calling us out of and into. Don't let this kill you. Because the way out of lust is the way into love. Now, just pause with me. I don't know the realities of everyone's, because I'm not like Jesus. I couldn't look into Pharisees' hearts and say, well, you guys, you, you think a lot of thoughts. I can't see that. You all, to me, look like really socially balanced and good people. And you dressed up pretty well today, okay? But Jesus sees in your heart. And so he, as he sees into my heart. And he knows it's killing us. He knows all these things are dying in us. Identity, honor, holiness, commitment, trusting him. And he wants to call you to love. We've got to trust that God really has something better for us than anything we could get with lust. If you're a parent, this ought to be a concern for you because, my goodness, our kids are just inundated. Even well-meaning people going on the Internet today, there's a sidebar issue that has some sexually explicit picture that lures you into that. I was just looking at, you know, what happened with Trump today, and all of a sudden I'm over into this thing on a place I probably shouldn't be. We need to be praying for each other on this. Grandparents, you need to be praying for your children and grandchildren. We need to be people who realizes it's killing us. It's killing our city. Do you know there's been sex trafficking here in Topeka? Topeka Rescue Mission's been very involved in that. We've been involved with them on that. Do you realize the brokenness of relationships, of marriages, of singles, on people who live with lust? It's killing us. And God has a better way for us because he loves you. And he's always going to call you away from the things that destroy you, that kill you into things that give you love and build you up. But he's going to be radical. So let's take a look at how Jesus is radical in this. And I'm going to interpret it. Hang with me, okay? Matthew 5, 29 to 30 says this, as Jesus continues in his teaching. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. How about that one? For it's better for you to lose one part of your members than the whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin... Cut it off. Throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than to lose your whole body going into hell. 
Jesus is not saying that we all take out knives right now, okay? So put, put away the, um, you know, the Swiss Army knife. Um, one of the early church fathers actually believed this was the literal thing, and so Origen castrated himself. Guys, that's not what Jesus is calling us to do. Everyone go, right? But he is asking us to do something that's radical, that's not passive, that may not be kind, but that's radical. The way out of lust, as I've found, because the scriptures taught me this, has to be radical. It can't be something we flirt with. It can't be something that we go, okay, Joe, let me pray about that before I decide. No, we've got to be radical with this. Because Jesus says, really, whatever it is that tears your heart away, whatever it is in your struggle, get awake. I mean, be radical in how you handle this. And we have to be people who hate the things that kill us and love the things and the one who gives us life. Jesus is going to do that. I think there's a passage that uh, Paul uses to call people away from lust and into love. And it's in 2 Timothy 2.22. It's real easy to remember. Just keep twos next to Timothy. 2 Timothy 2.22. He says this. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Three things that Paul calls us to. And I think three things to get us out of lust. Here they are. Number one, run from it. Run from it. Look what Paul says. He says, so flee youthful passions. Literally what this means is it's as if your hand touches a burner. What do you do? You pull back, don't you? It's a radical reaction. It's not a response. It's a reaction. So it's something that should happen really quick. And here's what I found. That first look, if your eyes see, uh, guys, if your eyes see a woman, girls, if your eyes see a guy, and that leads you to lust, how long do you look? Is that a, is that a reaction or a response. Reaction is, watch my eyes. First, the first look might be incidental, but the second look is intentional. So it's called, we're called to be quick in our response here. It's like if you're surfing and there's a shark in the water, what do you, you get out, right? That's the great fear when I'm in the ocean is that something like that will be trailing me. No, it's a radical reaction. And that's where David writes in Psalm 119, when he talks about the word of God, he says, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Boy, that's life-giving, isn't it? That's a good one to memorize for for your way out because it begins with our eyes. Jesus said it starts with your eyes because the desire in your heart is ready to rock on that area. So we've got to be willing to run from it to flee from it because we know that there's a danger with it. And, and it's like if you were diagnosed with a very aggressive form of cancer, you don't want to wait on that. You don't want to go, well, I've got a vacation coming in May and that's really important to me. And then in, in June, it's a family reunion. We'll take care of this in September. No, you don't. You, you get help, right? It's like you having a heart attack and someone's saying, hey, sit on the couch, watch some Netflix for a little bit and maybe it'll pass. No, maybe you'll pass if you don't deal with it, right? (laughs) Right? We've got to have, if we know the threat to our hearts and to our lives, to our marriages, to our relationships, to our faith, 
We've got to have a reaction that moves away from this. It's willing to cut it away, whatever we can do to get away from it. Can I ask you a question? What are you looking at? I can't see your web browser. I can't see your history on all different screens that you have or that you've hid away. But Jesus does. And he sees that it's killing you. Are you willing to change what you look at? Oh, Joe, come on. Besides a few scenes, it was a really good storyline. Yeah, I've been on the other side of those scenes. I've watched, I've watched really stupid movies to get to a few scenes because our hearts are broken, right? We've got to realize, oh, I'm not going to put out a list of movies you shouldn't watch or you know, things you shouldn't. That's not, I'm not going to be that guy. But I will tell you, it's never dealt passively. We've got to be reactive to this. Flee it. Run from it. Second of all, parents, you know what your kids are watching? Do you? Because if you don't, they probably are. It's that prolific. So you have to be intentional about this. You have to be reactive, not ballistic, but reactive. And you need to be willing to care about what our kids are seeing. Conversations, parental controls, those are worth it. Because most of us got exposed to porn at a young age when we had no idea what it really was or the power that it really had. Can I go one step further? And I know I'm going on thin ice, so hang with me, okay? What are you wearing? And I get a lot of pushback from this. Joe, come on. Doesn't she just look cute? She looks so cute. Yes, she looks cute, but that's not where my eyes go when she's wearing that. Oh, Joe, that's your problem. Don't cause anyone to to have to change because that's your problem. And it is my problem. But can I say one thing? Because it's so powerful, male and female these days, how do you, do you want to be loved or do you want to be lusted after? That's just a question. Because how you dress will determine the response of the people around you. If you're feeling lonely that no one's giving you the attention, but all of a sudden you get it by what you're wearing, folks, they want what you're what you're not wearing. They want your body, but they don't want you. That's how lust works. And I think we all want to be loved and we all want to love. To be honest, none of us want to lust. We want to love people. So it's going to call us to flee that, right? Now, let's keep looking at what God's going to call us. He's going to call us to run from, but he's going to call us to run to because God would never call us to run from something so powerful and addicting than lust if he didn't have something better for us. Look at how 2 Timothy 2.22 develops that. He says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from, from pure heart. So pursue, we're to pursue something, right? We're to run to God. And because he is the one who gives us a righteousness that's not our own. Remember Jesus said earlier in Matthew 5.20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So we've got to run to the only one who can save us. And Jesus is our only way out.
But look at the values that Jesus gives us, not only for ourselves and for a relationship with him, but a relationship with others, how we treat and honor each other. There's righteousness, there's faith, there's love, there's peace. Those are long-term values that we can't help to win with in this area. And so it's a radical response that he calls us to. You know, so many of us, because we live in a sexually charged world, it's so easy to feel more alive when we're sexually active than it is to feel spiritually active and alive when we're in an environment like this or when we're reading the word or when we're praying or when we're... And that's because we've been conditioned to, to forfeit our God-given identity, to pour our lives into a counterfeit that cannot satisfy God has a far better future for us than lust would ever give us if we're willing to trust him. And every one of those values are long-term values. What's right? What's good? What's loving? What's pure? God has that for us. It's the way out of lust, out of lust. And then he calls us to run with. Look at how 2 Timothy 2.22 says it. He says that we're to run along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So we're to run from lust, we're to run to Christ, and we're to run with everyone who calls on the name of the Lord in this area. And these are not perfect people. None of us are perfect, but they're calling out on the Lord. In other words, in their weakness, in their brokenness, they're trusting God. They're looking to him. They're crying out to him. They're calling out to him. Help me, because when you get help with others who are calling for help, God tends to heal. And these are people in our lives. These are radical relationships. In other words, you're not going to probably find these relationships apart from the people of God. And that's why we get together right? So we can have some relationship with each other. There's something about God when he delivers us from lust. He doesn't want us to be isolated in this. And if you're thinking, I just need to never do that again. I need to never look at that again. And I'll never do that again. And you go isolated and you go secret. My goodness, lust just grabs its claws on you all the more. And it tears out your soul and it makes you feel worthless. But when you're willing to share your struggle with fellow brothers or fellow sisters. It's, it's good that you share honest, open and honestly what's going on in your life. And it breaks the power of that sin of lust when it's out and some people are praying for you. And I'm not talking about everyone. Don't go change your Facebook you know, comments this afternoon. I'm talking about a few people who love you enough to help you in this area. You're not going to get out of this alone. And God has crafted the people of God to come alongside you. I'd encourage you, get connected here. We've got a men's study on on Tuesday evenings at 6.30. And this week, they're going to be talking about this topic. It's called a 33 study. And it meets at 6.30 on Tuesday nights. Come to that. Get started. Get with a group of people. You're not going to find these relationships at a bar at 2 p.m. Or 2 a.m., excuse me. You're not going to find them there. Most times, lust is cultivated in community. Think about it. How many times can you talk without some person going sexual innuendo? 
I've got to be careful how I phrase things so that it doesn't set people's minds to a sexual innuendo. We're always conscious of it, and it's killing us. We need help. I want to encourage you. There's a book that I read recently that I think is the best book on this topic because it's grace-based. It's not about you just trying harder or you just never doing it or you doing all the good things because that's the tendency in us. I've got to be better. I've got to do better. And God calls us to grace. This book is called Finally Free. It's written by a guy named Heath Lambert. Really good book. I love how it addresses the issue that our only way out is the grace of God in our lives. And the only way to run from lust is to run to Christ. Love that. Buy this book, even if you're a grandparent, and read it and pray it for your children and grandchildren. I want to finish with a story from the life of Christ. And it begins in John chapter 4. But before I do, I want to show you again. Last week, I went to this passage And Jesus says this, a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, if there's anything that's just true about lust, it steals, kills, and destroys lives. Your life, the people around you. But Jesus has come to give us love and to call us to a better life. And because of that, Following the way of Jesus, his way is a way out of lust. But I want to give you right now a heart, the heart behind the way. Because Jesus has a heart for you, especially if you're broken or have been broken because of abuse or anything, any of the hurt or brokenness that's happened because of lust. So Jesus is in Jerusalem and he wants to go to Galilee. It's 80 miles away. How does he get there? If you were Jewish, you never went through Samaria. You never saw the Samaritans as pure people. They were always the broken ones, the the rejects. They were a lower class than you. And so you'd go around Samaria. But John introduces this whole story with Jesus had to go through Samaria. And as we read the story, we start realizing why. Because as he's traveling there, he stops at a city. And he stops at a city and he meets a woman at the well. The disciples go into the city to go and uh, get food. And Jesus is alone with this woman. And this woman is drawing water from the well. And he says, could I have some of that water? And she goes, whoa, Jews don't usually talk to Samaritans. And especially a man, Jew, doesn't talk to a woman, Gentile or Samaritan. And Jesus said, well, if you know who was asking you for water, you'd understand. And she says, water? And Jesus started talking about him giving living water. She says, I'd like living water. Jesus says this, go, call your husband and come back here. The woman goes, "Uh uh-oh, I don't have a husband. Literally, she was a prostitute. Jesus was talking to a prostitute, someone whose life was ruined because of lust and sexual immorality. Jesus talked. He sought her out and spoke to her. Go get your husband. She goes, I don't have a husband. Jesus says this, you're right. You're right in saying you have no husband. Matter of fact, you have five husbands. The one you're with now is not your husband. She had a pattern, right? You know what she said? I sense you're a prophet. (laughs) Divert, divert. Let's move the subject. 
Um, since you're a prophet, where does real worship happen? Does it happen on a mountain here or does it happen back in Jerusalem? Jesus says, true worship happens when someone worships in spirit and in truth with who they are. She goes, well, when the Messiah comes, he'll explain it to me. He says, the one you speak of is me. The disciples show up. They go, what's Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman all about? What is this all about? The Samaritan woman goes back. She goes back uh, to her city. And this is what she says to the people in her city. She said, come, come on. See a man who told me all that I ever did. Because Jesus saw it. He knew exactly what was going on. He sees brokenness sexually. Can this be the Christ, she asks. Can this be the Christ? The story goes back to Jesus and his disciples around the well. And he said, you know, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Guys, pray, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers. And about that time he got done with that lesson, the whole city comes up. The harvest is coming to Jesus. And they go, you're pretty fascinating. Stay with us for a few days. Explain who you are. Explain who God is. Teach us about who you are. So Jesus does. And at the last passage of this story, this is what happens. They come to Christ. They say to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. In other words, they trusted in the person of Jesus for who he was, not just the Messiah, but the savior of the world, the savior of their lives. What is Jesus teaching us by this story? I don't know of a more isolating, crippling issue than lust and sexual immorality. You feel dirty, you feel distant, you feel used, you feel abused. When Jesus sees you, he sees you like that Samaritan woman and he has to come to you. That's his mission. I must go to you. That's the heart of Jesus. The one that could have condemned us wants to come to us. And although we put up all our pushback, but you don't know me and I'm not going to be happy. And what if I do this? We can have all our theological arguments. We can say what the Bible, what we want the Bible to say about this topic. But ultimately, Jesus says, worship me in spirit and in truth, who you are, your true realities and who I am. And although Jesus came to a woman that was broken and caught and practicing sexual immorality, he did not affirm her sexual immorality. He called her to himself. And Jesus does that. He calls us away from what we're doing that's killing us into things that build his love in us. And the results when this lady trusted Jesus was a major transformation in her and a major transformation in people around her. Because Jesus had to go to her She had to tell other people around. She had to go to others. Did you realize that a Gentile woman at the well was the first evangelist for the Gentile world? Some of us go, oh, that was Paul. That was what he he reached outside of Jerusalem to the end of the earth. No, first person who did it was the woman at the well, and she was broken because of sexual immorality. 
Jesus doesn't give up on you. Your story is not over. He has to come to you. And when he comes to you, he shows himself and he calls you to himself. And if you're willing to follow on him, look out. We now know her story in 2017. Instead of being broken by sexual morality, we see a woman who trusted in Christ and shared him. And we get the gospel to us because someone was willing to run from sexual immorality to the only one who could save her. Folks, your story's not over. In a room this size, many of us have been broken and hurt or are hurting now because of the abuse related to sexual immorality or the hurt or the internal pain because of it. That's, that's not God's story. That's not his end story for you. It can begin again. Trust him on this. Run to him. Allow him to heal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thanks so much for loving us enough to tell the truth to us today. And Lord, due to the nature of sexual immorality and lust, you call us to be radical with it because of how serious it is in our lives. As your church, Lord, I pray for hearts that are open and receptive, that are willing, that are willing and open to running from the things that kill us to the things that build in us. True love through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.